This week, ATF agent Dominic Polifrone takes on the case of his life when he goes after the Iceman, Richard Kuklinski. Well, what happened is you don't go boast, you know, hey, listen, uh, they know if you're connected. Okay, I use the name Provenzano. All right. Some will say, hey, I know your brother downtown. He's a good fella. I'm not going to say a word. He can be from the Bonanno family. He could be from the Lucchese because everybody's earning and they don't want to tell the other people they're earning. So everybody earns on the side. I don't care what family you're from. Okay. You do a little bit with this family, you do a little bit with that family and everybody's happy unless somebody gets taken down. Welcome to Game of Crimes. Welcome back, everybody. This is episode 12, part one of Game of Crimes. But man, Steve, before we get into it, I am Morgan Wright. I am the ultimate host of Game of Crimes, and I'm here literally with my partner. (laughs) You're so full of crap. (laughs) Hey, it's Murph. Steve Murphy, how are you, everybody? I'm telling you. So, hey, by the way, got a lot of good comments about last uh, epi- last week's episode, part one and two. Mostly, it's they love the British accents. <laughs> yeah, you do. They're addictive. Even the Australian accents and the New That's Zealand right, accents. I love Australia. Those. You know, the yeah. whole thing was is somebody would rather hear somebody with a British accent read the phone book than an American read the Declaration of Independence. You know, true. And and not to leave out our Irish and our Scottish friends. That's right. But but depending on if you have a bird or a brogue in Scottish, they're very hard. There's a funny YouTube video of two Scottish guys on a voice activated elevator, and it's a comedy thing. But it's like that the elevator elevator can't understand them. And these guys were talking, it's really bad. But anyway, hey, but, but I'll tell you, man, again, hats off. I salute these guys. What, I mean, what fabulous work. And, and just, I mean, you think about 53 people dead, over 700 wounded. You're yeah. busting your hump. You're, you're trying to prevent the next, and the next attack, if it hadn't been for the incompetence of the bombers making, you know, the mm-hmm. detonators work, but the mixture was bad. Man, it could have been worse. So, I mean, hats off to these guys. And you think about it, Steve. And you've been, I mean, like with you and Javier, you know, on Pablo too. You go, you think about how many days you go with little or no sleep. You know, mm-hmm. you're just operating off of caffeine and adrenaline. And I got to imagine at the end of all of that, what it was like to just, that adrenaline dump where you finally were able to just sit down and just really take a breath. Man, that must have been a huge load off their shoulders. Yeah, you know, for us... Uh when I would get a chance to come back to the States, we would go to my wife's uh, family's farm out in the country, and it was so quiet there. And the first night, every time we'd go there, I'm not kidding you, I'd sleep about 14 hours. Just because when, you know, when you're in Columbia, you're just always psyched up. Yeah, you're sleeping with a 9mm on your chest like you did that first <laughs> night there. <laughs> well, yeah, something you could piss people off with. Yeah, yeah, just, uh, that, that, that hurts. Yeah, you'd piss me <laughs> off, yeah. Hey, well, everybody, we hope you enjoyed that. Uh, again, and if you do enjoy it, go to Apple uh, Podcast. Give us that five stars. It's magic. We don't know why the magic works. It's Disney. It's David Copperfield. You know, it's Harry Houdini. This stuff, all we know is it just works. So give us five stars. It really helps. The other thing it does, too, it helps get visibility so other people can discover this. So please, if you do us one thing this week, just go to Apple, rate it five stars, and just share it with one friend. That's all we ask. Just share, just give the gift of Game of Crimes, right, Steve? <laughs> give the gift. 
<laughs> and also, we apologize for the issue for you that uh, that download from Apple there at the beginning of the of the week. They had some kind of little glitch in their system. <sighs> it wasn't on our end, thank goodness. But yeah, it's all straightened out. And a big thanks to Sarah at Upside Down Digital Media oh, yeah. for getting it all straightened out for us for, for hopping on it like white on rice, like gum on a shoe, baby, yep. just all over it. Let me tell you what, that's one lady I would never want to tick off. Oh, my God, no. God, no. <laughs> Hey, the other thing, too, is head on over to our website, GameOfCrimesPodcast.com. When we have extra pictures or stuff, we're going to keep going back to these episodes and uploading pictures as we get them from our friends and our guests. We'll also be putting, we're working on merch right now, so we have a couple unique ideas for merch. We will tell you about, but I, Steve, the one I'm excited about, because it's continuing to grow, is Patreon. We just got through mm-hmm. doing our review of Beverly Hills Cop, because that's what people voted on. And it, one of the things we got was they, a lot of the folks loved the analysis of the weapons of the show. You know, we went into detail on them and talked about tactics. You know, long story short, we gave it a, we rated it at a 10 out of 10 kilos for entertainment. If you want to know what we thought about the movie, you're going to have to go to patreon.com slash game of crimes. Sign up for one of the levels, man. But we're, I'll tell you what, we're having fun. That was a blast. I enjoyed it. Uh, we got some great questions in from a couple people there. This was live stream, and, and now it's on Patreon. So come and join us. It's <laughs> We'll answer your questions. Yeah, we have the audio up, and I'll be putting the video up this weekend. We had a sync issue with our new platform. That all got figured out, and boom, we'll be uploading the video. So go there, Game of Crimes, uh, over at Patreon, patreon.com slash Game of Crimes. And uh, we again, anybody who's on there, we really appreciate what you guys are doing. And if you want to just give you know give a pause for the cause and just give us a shout out and throw a little bit of cashola our way, you can go to PayPal.com, use our email Game of Crimes Podcast at gmail.com or PayPal.me slash Game of Crimes, whatever it makes it easier for you to support the show and help us bring you even more exciting content. Yes, that's right. Now remember, we're getting into the show now. This is a show about crime. We talk about bad people doing bad things and bad people doing bad things to good people. We take the story seriously, but... We never take ourselves serious. It is against the law. Literally, it is against the law. Virginia Statutes, (laughs) Title 18, United States Code, Section 22.4, Slash 2, Subparagraph A. Damn. Yeah, but you know, this falls under Murphy's Laws, too, so you never know when stuff's going to go sideways. <laughs> That's true. And speaking of going sideways, if I got something for you, guess what time it is, Murph? Oh, not again. It is. It's time for Small, Small Town, Town Police, Police Blotter. Or as we call it, Embarrassed Murph Time. Let's go. Well, that's that's just you know that's redundant. You know that's part of the fun. That's part. Well, of Steve. Fun. So hey, I got to tell you, man. Continuing on our theme from last week with Agent Penis at the CIA. <laughs> this th- you, you will see a thread for the next two to three small town police blotters. Continuing in that thread, we have a story out of Malaysia. I scoured Uh-oh. the internet to get this one out of Malaysia. Steve, the headline reads. Belittled by penis prank. A Malaysian man who ordered a $180 penis enlarger was sent a magnifying glass. (laughs) It came with an instruction that would at least prevent the man from causing injury to himself because it said, do not use in sunlight. (laughs) The man, oh, this is great. The man named only as Ong, O-N-G, contacted Malaysia's Customer Complaints Bureau claiming... The magnifying glass is worth just $9, $9, but lawyers say he is unlikely to get his money back. Well, that, but here's the question. When he used it properly, did it look bigger? 
Oh, gosh. But, it, but it's swear. also the headline, Belittled by Penis Prank. So... P.T. Barnum said, there's a sucker born every minute. Well, <laughs> stay tuned for next week because we're going to continue this thread. Steve, by the way, again, another headline, no pants. This one is definitely out of a small town because there was some police blotter rider that had a little too much time on his hands with this story. A woman walking through the parking lot of the Vadness Heights, I believe it's called Big Box Store, did a double take the morning of July 13th, but wished she hadn't seen what she saw the first time. She told a deputy inside about a man in a vehicle, nude from the waist down, and adult porn on the dashboard. <laughs> the man who had not committed an actual crime was told to beat it. Oh! Oh! <laughs> Whoever wrote that ought to be <clears throat> fine. <laughs> Come <clears throat> on. Oh, my God. Well, and that you know what? The, uh, the complainant in this case, the, the lady, certainly had a lot of detail. Well, the other thing, too, is I heard he was eventually arrested, but he was let go for lack of evidence, and apparently uh, the evidence wouldn't boop. stand up in court. Yes. But <laughs> boom. Thank you. I've been waiting all time to use those. <laughs> all right, Steve, here's another one. 8.28 a.m. A resident told police his neighbors weren't answering the doors and their cars were in the driveway, and he thought something might be wrong. And I've had those calls. I know you had those mm -hmm. calls back in you know Blue Crab, West Virginia, wherever it was. Police determined the neighbors were still in bed. Wow. That All is right. one fucking nosy neighbor. You're not kidding. <laughs> knock, knock, knock. Are you up? Are you up? Are you up, Marge? Larry? Larry, Marge, are you up? Well, it's like that commercial you see now where the little old lady comes over and they've got the ring doorbell and she's yep. on there. She goes, I know you're in there, but I know you're busy. Today is Taco Tuesday. Tuesday. We're having tacos. Come over and have tacos. Tacos. All you want to eat, tacos. It's funny. <laughs> It's not funnier when she does it. It is, it is obviously. Yeah. <laughs> hey, the next one. Remember that Samuel Jackson movie, Snakes on a Plane? Oh, I don't watch crap. I hate snakes. I don't watch it. Well, then you're not going to like this story. This one's called <laughs> Snakes Alive. Oh. A woman in Oak Trail Shores reported a snake in her house. Okay, you know, it's small town. You report a snake in the house, right? Everyone is out of the house except for her husband, and he is on the toilet. <laughs> Uh, well, he must have really had to go, or else he's not afraid of snakes. <laughs> or he's standing literally on the toilet, and he's afraid to come out. But uh. that, but if you're leaving him in there, if he's on the toilet and there's a snake in there, man, you just clench them butt cheeks together, i got to tell you. Uh, oh, uh, well, whoa, wait, now wait a minute. Maybe it was her husband's snake. Steve, uh, you can uh, take no, no, that no, no, any no, way no. you want to. We already had our penis joke for this episode. <laughs> I'm a pet snake. I don't know. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. Didn't know where you were going. <laughs> All right. Okay. Final one now. It is time to embarrass Murph. This one is actually kind of unique. What year was it? So this comes out of the St. Louis Globe Democrat on August 23rd. So you have to determine what year was it. Was it 1904, 1914, or 1924? 14. This is this is uh, this is very interesting. I get it wrong every week anyway. So 14. I think, I well, uh, let me read the story first. How's that? <laughs> Automobile police. Automobile police make arrests. Grant Sweet of 10,003 Market Street was run down and captured yesterday morning by officers in the police automobile at Manchester and Mackland Avenue. George Yeager of 391 South Sarpy Avenue pointed Sweet out to the officers as the man he had seen enter a room at Forest Park Highlands recently, shortly before valuable articles were missed from it. So they ran him down in the, quote, police automobile. So, Steve, what year was it? 1904, 1914, or 1924? Oh, my gosh. When did the cars come out? Uh, let's see. I'm going to guess 1924. You would be wrong. Damn. 
and you were wrong about 1914. This was actually... Wait, 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 I got it. 1904. No wonder you caught Pablo, man. (laughs) You are master of the obvious. Ah, there you go. Oh, my God. Wow, I didn't realize cars were out that early. Yeah, but I love the way they called it the police automobile. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. They used to call it the police horse. Yeah, the police horse. That's right. But as fast as those things were back then, you probably could have run and caught the guy faster than in the automobile. <laughs> but hey, it's all about getting there in style. Well, and they had to get out and prime the motor and crank the engine and all that. You know, it would take you several minutes before you could begin that pursuit. It would. Speaking of beginning something, let's begin. This ep- This is going to be fun. This this one we got introduced to by courtesy of our buddy from episode four, Lou Velozzi. This is the man. And I mean, he is the man that brought down Richard Kuklinski, the Iceman. Steve, I mean, Kuklinski said he did like 100 mob hits. That's what they did on the documentary. Now, you're going to have to listen to the podcast to get Dominic's uh, take on that thing. But Steve, this this was, a, this was a fun episode, considering how technically challenged Dominic is. Even worse you, than you. Let me tell you, I was a cop for almost 38 years. I even got embarrassed. I'm <laughs> listening to Dominic describe things. Holy cow, I've never heard the F-bomb so many times. So it's a little bit explicit, ladies and gentlemen. If that bothers you, you probably don't want to listen to this one, but it's hilarious. Uh, it, not only is hilarious, but the, the dude is a legitimate badass. I mean, oh, yeah. we're going to talk about him working across, making arrests across the five crime families. He was arresting made men. He was arresting all of these folks. And then the, the the and this is the real inside story of how he brought down Richard Kuklinski. It is not we talk about the movie. We actually run the movie through the narcometer with Dom, and we talk about you know what he thinks about it. But if you watch the movie and even some of the documentaries, just a lot of crap in there. Dom cuts through it, and he really tells you here's the story about Kuklinski. And I tell you, we actually it was so good. We used him when we put our trailer out for Game of Crimes. Mm-hmm. Part of Dom was in there, but his New Jersey accent, you know, he's from, <laughs> you know, where he worked. Uh, but he started off, you know, he started off, you know, working for the district attorney's office, went to ATF. But what he did at ATF, I'm telling you, the cases he worked. Uh, just, uh, but Kuklinski, out of all of them, this is the one that obviously made the news everybody knows about. Yeah, his uh, his accent doesn't sound at all like mine. I thought he was speaking a foreign language. <laughs> well, between you two, man, I need a freaking interpreter. I'm going to have to hire somebody for the show. But yeah, but you know, I tell you, Dom, this is this is going to be an adventure when you listen to this one because he takes you inside. I mean, he's out there meeting these these bonafide murderers, these Italian tough guys from the various Italian families in New York City by himself. He's doing a lot of this with no backup. You know, I mean, the Iceman, definitely a stone-cold serial murder, murderer that Dom is in there having coffee with and giving him shit. Well, he would have made Stone Cold Steve Austin shrivel up a little bit. So, Steve, what do you say? Are you ready to play the biggest game of all? The Game of Crimes. Absolutely. Ladies and gentlemen, get in, sit down, shut up, and hold on. Bring on some Dom. The following podcast contains adjectives that might offend your ears if you live outside fucking New Jersey. So welcome to the podcast, Dominic Polifron. Fucking hey. <laughs> and I got to tell you, hey, no. we'll, we'll, you'll find this out later too, but in the book, we'll talk about it. You were a master of what they called the ballistic fuck. So we'll, yeah. We're, yeah. we're going to get it. And again, I'm telling you folks, if you got sensitive ears, 
First of all, this ain't the podcast where we don't do these standard warnings like following the following podcast contains sensitive information. Listener discretion advised. It's like, what? It's marked explicit. You should know that right up front. So anyway. I don't know. I, I, you know what? I think you guys might offend me today. I might have to log out of this uh, one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever you say, sweet cheeks, but little offensive. Right. So Dom, first of all, we got to do the traditional greeting. How you doing? I'm doing good. How you I'm doing? I'm doing good. Thanks for asking. Mighty fine place you got here. Yeah. yeah it's, see, if I try to do that with a West Virginia accent, y'all not going to understand a thing I say. <laughs> y'all, when I used to go out in Nebraska when I went, you know, use guys said, what? Use. Yeah. <laughs> use guys. No, y'all. So if you want to know where guys. Danny DeVito practiced up before he did My Cousin Vinny, it was with Dom. So. <laughs> Bergen County, New Jersey, right? Yeah, they tell me I have a accent, uh, I guess. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, this, this is going to be fun because, you know, this whole episode, we're going to dive into uh, how you ran the operation to capture and help eventually convict the Iceman, Richard Kuklinski, at least 100 mob hits, if not more, you know, according to what he said. And normally we don't go back far. Normally dive in by we saying, you know, hey, Dom, tell us, tell us how you got started in law enforcement. But the real back part of this story that really sets the stage for how you were able to pull this off starts with you making $7 a week delivering milk. And then you found out you were doing something for the mob. Uh, well, I was... Not intentionally. Making, no, I was making $7 a week uh, delivering milk before before school. And I'd get up 3 o'clock every morning and then uh, go go load the, the um, you know, the milk truck. And then uh, sometimes I would drive it before my cousin got to there to take the reins. But um, in the meantime, I would I would be delivering milk, and I'd finish up around ah, six o'clock, six thirty, and go home, take a shower, and then go to school. In addition to that, I, uh, when I was delivering, I found monies in the milk bottles, and I s- said, "What is this?" <laughs> and it was wrapped up in a note, and it had numbers on it. And he explained to me that. These people play numbers uh, through a bookie, and they leave the monies and the number in the milk bottle. So I would collect it, turn it in, and if they hit, they would get paid. Okay, no taxes. And uh, what happened was, while I was doing that, he was paying me another $7.00. So I was making $14 a week. I was on top of the world, man. That's a lot of money back then. <laughs> and uh, About what year was that? 60s, early. Uh, I'd say, let me see, 60, uh, maybe 60s, 61, wow. something like that. Yeah, $14 like that. a week was huge. So how, how old were you, Dom? I think I was around... 15 or six, something, 15 or 14. And uh, I would drive the milk. The cops knew me. Uh, sometimes they would play the numbers back then. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it was cool, man. I was driving a stick shift, you know, truck. And uh, my cousin would go out bouncing and then come back later. You know, uh, instead of getting there at three o'clock, I would get there at three o'clock, load the truck, go deliver some milk. In the meantime, uh, he'd show up around six o'clock and then uh, we'd finish the route. 
And uh, wait a minute, you were showing up as a Ute, a fourteen at the Ute. Yeah, you were showing up at three o'clock in the morning. Yeah, don't forget the 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 milk is already delivered in this small little. uh, It's like a warehouse, but with they used to put the ice on top Mm -hmm. of the milk bottles, you know, and everything was glass Mm -hmm. back then. And uh, I'd go load the truck, and then I'd ride around in the neighborhood. It was the first ward area where I grew up, uh, all Italians there, and uh, make my uh, $14 a week then. You yeah, know? so so uh, what part of Ireland is your family from, by the way, Dominic? They originally... <laughs> 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 my father came from Calabria. And my oh, yeah. mother, um, Naples, uh, in it, it, Italy. Yeah, you were busting his chops, Steve, because he talked about having a shot of Jameson. Before. Well, <laughs> hey, Murphy Irish, there you go. Yeah. There you go. Hey, at the time, did you know they were the mob? What did you know about the mob back then and organized crime and Not numbers? Not really. Anything? All I knew is that around the corner from me was called the CC Hall, and all the old men would sit out there with pocket chains. Sitting around, around you know this big hall, big big hall. They had weddings there, uh, and everything, big stages and everything. And downstairs they had pool tables and a huge bar, and they had the old-fashioned windows that opened up this way mm-hmm. instead of what's, you know, what's this you way because you know we're on a podcast here, Dom. I know this is new technology to you, but nobody you can see what out. the hell you're doing. They're they're, they're about <laughs> I I don't know maybe uh, three feet wide and three feet long. And they open, you push them in. Okay. Okay. And they used to leave their drinks all outside there too. And sometimes I'd go there and they'd all be sitting around and say, hey, Dom, go across the street. There was a little deli. Go get me some Denobles, which are Italian cigars. You know, they last through hurricanes, them things. So <laughs> I, I'd go there, I'd buy them for 25 cents or whatever, and give it to them. And then I'd go along with where they were sitting and uh when the windows were open if it was a hot day i'd go drink their beer and <laughs> they'd be chasing me i lived around the block from it you know but it was a was a good neighborhood the, the all the old timers and they had they had one guy that normally not that he calls the shots he sort of like a patriarch in that area uh-huh. you know where go see him if you wanted things done and, um, but I, I didn't, I'm, I was fine. I mean, uh, sometimes I think my grandmother on my father's side was hooked up. You know, she, <laughs> she was, a, she was a trip. What do you mean? Josephine. Um, she used to bring people in from Italy, a sponsor them. You know, she had a couple of houses and a store and all this, uh, I was sort of like the black sheep, you know. Uh, I wouldn't go visit her. My father would have a fit, you know. Go, go see, go, go see your grandmother. No, 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 no. Go see your grandmother. Why wouldn't She's you go? Uh, I, she was too much for me. I got this Italian girl. I got this. I don't want to see Italian girl, you know. I'm going out with an Irish girl. <laughs> there you go. Now that's my best friend Dominic right yeah, there. And I did, you know. And it was, but she was, she was too much. But. Um, I mean, she had a garden in the back. All of them. She invented the do rag. You know, they'd be out there with the do rags and the aprons, uh, 
doing the gardens, picking the tomatoes and eggplants and everything else. And um, it was a great neighborhood. We had uh, apple trees, peach trees. Uh, across the street on the other side, uh, Andronica, uh, they had a huge, huge uh, hothouses for flowers and everything. And uh, now it's all apartments and everything. Now, is that, is that huge spelled with an H or a Y? Like huge? Don't you understand fucking English? Yeah. Hey, let me tell you, now I've been working with this guy for months, and this is all I got. Man, I'm going to send you my English book. It's about four pages long. It's fuck you. What's up, your mother? Hey, let me tell you something. In college, I had to take an English course, right? And I had this woman who all she wanted to do was listen to Edgar Allan Poe. Ugh, drove me crazy. I, I couldn't take it anymore. Ed Gallon Poe and Hitty's records, they were all scratchy and what a, what a, what a time. Well, let's talk about that because you ended up in college because your dad kind of gave you an ultimatum. Did he think you were going down the wrong path? Was he concerned about you? Was he concerned about your lifestyle in the neighborhood? What, what kind of no, led to uh, that? He worked construction seven days a week. He worked his ass off. He put me through college. He put my sister through college. And my brother Vinny, uh, he uh, did well. Uh, he didn't go to college, but uh, he he works with Billy Joel. He does the staging and everything and travels all over the world with him and everything. Cool. And uh, my brother Vinny uh, is in uh, near Red Bank. My sister lives in uh, Bergen County area. Uh, and I'm up in Bergen County with my kids up in this area. You know, and got all my friends that I grew up with that we still hang out with that were a tight group and uh, born in the first ward, which was a great ward. And um, you did your thing there. You know what? I've actually been to Red Bank. We, uh, Javier and I went up there and spoke at the theater there in Red Bank, New Jersey, a couple yeah, years ago. It's very Pe- nice. People very nice to us up there. You're lucky I wasn't there, but go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> And, and if Next I time I'm going to call you, man. I'm yeah, going to call right. you. Yeah, call me. All right. Yeah. Well, so so what, what was his deal with you? Is like, what did he give you the choice of either do this or go to college? Well, I was working, uh, and I really didn't know what school I wanted to go or what I was going to do. And he had the construction, and I was working. You know, we were on the job almost like 6, 6.30 in the morning. And gave me the sledgehammer, John Henry. You know, knock these uh, forms out. You're going to pour concrete. You're going to do curb. You're going to do sidewalks, shovel. Man, I'm going to tell you something. And I thought I was going to, no problem. And then later on, I was, uh, when we went home, man, I I was so tired. I got home maybe like six, okay? And then by the time I ate, I thought I was going to go. I was so tired every day that I said, the hell with this. My father said, look, either this or get an education. And I, I, I was just about to graduate high school, and I decided uh, I was, I think, second-team All-State in uh, football there. And uh, What position? I loved baseball. Uh, I was a and defensive end. And then I just went out. Several of my friends went out to University of Nebraska at Omaha, and I decided to go. I just went, 
went early, uh, walked on the football field. and Wait a minute. How do people from New Jersey – look, I'm from the Midwest. I'm from Kansas. I've been to Nebraska. How do people from New Jersey end up in Nebraska? Good thing they did. Let me tell you something. <laughs> Let me tell you some good thing they did. It was the best thing that could have happened. So we went out there, and every one of us graduated. So something was right there. And uh, I walked onto the field, and uh, to walk on, and I was going out for outside linebacker. And there must have been, I, I, I would assume, about eight to ten Line, outside linebackers, you know, and uh, eventually I wound up with a scholarship. And uh, wait, wait a minute. Eventually, well. you wound up with the scholarship. I see a talk going like this: "Hey, coach, look, there's two ways we can do this: either your way or my way." Is was that the discussion <laughs> my, you had with the he coach? Was a, he was an Italian guy, and here's, here's what happened: I'm going out there. I wasn't going to fly, so my mother and father take me to Penn Station in New York. I say goodbye. I get on a train. And I'm going, and now I'm, we're almost in Chicago, and there's this priest in front of me. He keeps turning around and looking at me. He goes, where, where are you going, son? I said, I'm going to Omaha, Nebraska, meeting a coach, Al Coniglia. He says, I know Coach Coniglia. He says, I'm from Creighton University. I'm a, uh, I forgot if he was a dean or something like that. And he goes, I said, I'll tell you the truth, Father. I said, as soon as this train stops, I'm going home. He says, what do you mean? I said, tell me, look out the window. All I see is cornfields. I don't see a deli. I don't see one building. <laughs> Welcome this to the Midwest, pal. I said, I can't take this. He goes, relax, relax. I swear to God. So we get, in, we get to Chicago and had a tra uh, transfer to a different train. So he stayed with me and I got on the other train and I said, man, I don't know. So finally got to Omaha, meet at Coach Al and and this uh, priest from uh, Creighton University, very nice gentleman, wished me luck and all that. And uh, I went with Coach Al. He set me up. You know, a matter of fact, I think I stayed a couple of days at his house and then uh, got my own place. And what happened is guys were starting to come in for football and everything. And we're the only ones on campus, really, right now. And then uh, football season started. And I, like I told you, I wound up with a scholarship and played my four years there. And I was fortunate because um, I wound up with a scholarship and I was majoring in phys ed. And I got in a lot of trouble out there. Oh, what a shock. No numbers to run, no milk <laughs> bottles. What? No, I used to... <laughs> Sometimes go down on a bar, jump on the bar. They were playing James Brown, kick the bottles out. <laughs> it, was, it was it was wild. You haven't told so us that, about your dance moves. No, you didn't ask my police. The police director, Patavina, I think, was the police director for the city of Omaha Police Department. He says, listen to me. He says, we're going to put you to bed on Friday nights to make sure you show up for the game. In addition to that. Um, you're going to take electives, you're going to take law enforcement. And one of the classes is mine. So I wound up taking, uh, you know, criminology courses, and it came real easy. I switched majors. I wound up graduating with a Bachelor of Science in, in uh, law enforcement and corrections. And uh, I, I, 
was offered other jobs out there, but I decided to come home and... Uh, hey, so what was that four years? So so for folks know too, because there's a distinction, there's the University of Nebraska at Lincoln, which yeah. is the big Cornhusker U, right? And then what, 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 was the, what was the team name at University of Nebraska Omaha? It was the Indians. The Indians? It was the Omaha, yeah. And well, darn, I, I don't get to use my joke to could Murph, because you know what the N on Nebraska's helmet stands for? What's Knowledge. That? Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, well, and I'll I'll give you uh, his phone number and his address, all you folks from yeah, Nebraska. So yeah, you can yeah, I came from send him a love yeah, note. Yeah, yeah, they they left the Big Twelve and ran but off. But I had uh, I don't know if you followed football. Uh, Marlon Briscoe was the black quarterback that was played out there with us, and he was the first black quarterback in the NFL. Then he went with Denver oh, wow. Broncos. That would yeah, went with Denver, and he he started out. In, didn't start. He got a, uh, his shot with Denver Broncos, and he played. He was the first black quarterback in the NFL. Nice. And then he went with Buffalo as a wide receiver and then went with the uh, Miami Dolphins on the undefeated team. With Don oh, wow. Schuller, oh, and, nice. Yeah. And Larry Zonka and, and the guys like that. Larry Zonka, yeah. yeah. Jimmy Kick. Uh, and, Mercury uh, Morris. So we still, you know, we're in touch a little bit here and there. And... Um, Great school, great people. It was like my second home. Uh, home, uh, honest. Uh, Hackensack is where I grew up, and, and that's where I'm from. That's where my roots are. But the Omaha people really treated me like I was part of them. And I went back later on. Uh, I, I, I was honored with the All American, uh, and I went back, and then I was inducted into the uh, University of Nebraska Omaha Hall of Fame. Now, the University of Lincoln, uh, that's the big school. We're a small NAIA uh, I remember. Uh, school at the time and um, played there. And uh, uh, before it was the University of Nebraska Omaha, it was Omaha University. Then they switched the name to University of Nebraska at Omaha. And... Um, Great school, great people. The best thing that could have happened to me that I went there and was still in touch with people. And the individuals that I played with uh, were still in touch. They were from Cincinnati, uh, uh, Cleveland, Ohio, uh, Midwest. You know, it was just great, 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 great learning. It was the best thing that could have happened to me that I left here in New Jersey to get away and then come back. A lot of my friends wound up dead, uh, drugs and that kind of stuff. I need to know a little bit more about your dancing skills. I mean, were you like a John Travolta up there doing that? Or what the hell are you doing up on the bar? Let me tell you something. I told Michael Jackson how to do the moonwalk before he presented <laughs> oh, that. <geez. laughs> Good thing you're no, not I, under oath, man. It was just one of them things. And then I started hanging around with the, the boys from South Omaha, which was Ron Stander, who fought Joe Frazier for the heavyweight championship. Wow. In Omaha, if you looked at yeah. And we hung out at the same bar. It was the... Uh, it was a dive, man. I tell you, downstairs, Jerry Quarry would come in there sometimes to uh, practice, and he'd wear a red T-shirt with stating the uh, Nebraska sucks he had on it. And they told him, he says, man, you shouldn't wear that. He says, fuck you. He'd tell people. He, him and his brother would come there and, and, and train. Oh, yeah. And uh, the foxhole. It was called the foxhole, this place. What a dive. What a joint. You go downstairs, dingy. Uh, showers, nasty, and I was hanging out with Ron Stander, and uh, there was a fellow named Tony Novak, and other things, and in addition to that, 
I mean, I was, there was going to certain parties. There were these bikers that came and had a big riff with them. And they liked me because I stood up to them. It was just a wild road. So when you were in college, <laughs> how big were you? You know, you were playing in AIA school. Well, I was about uh, 5'11". I'd say about 225, 230. Yeah, that's... I was, when I went to Fort Hayes State, we were in NAI school also. We used to play oh, Kearney am. State, you know, and go Yeah, up the, I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, see. We played them in baseball, too. And we I, kicked I, your I ass. Actually, that's all I can say. Did you? I can't remember. I'd have to go back. <laughs> I yeah, don't you better check remember. that out, Dom. You better check that out, Dom. <laughs> I better. You bet. Yeah. yeah, you go check that out. And while you're checking that out, let's talk about you now. So, you, you, but you you survived college in the Midwest. First of all, I got to ask you before we go on to, you know, how you ended up back in New Jersey. You said there were quite a few people from New Jersey there. So, but did you have culture shock? In other words, like you said, where's the deli, everything? You know, it's like, it was like a whole different, you know, it's like you landed in a different world or were you kind of like, ah, it didn't take too long to get used to it? No, it took me, I, I didn't like it at all until, don't forget, I was there with all guys prior to people coming into school yet. This, oh, you know, we haven't we, talked we, about we women had, yet, have we? We had, uh, we had three Se uh, three uh, sessions a day for two weeks uh, for training, you know, before the season, football season started. And yeah, everybody was in the same boat that we were talking to. You know, oh, this guy's girlfriend, he's, you know, he misses her, this and that. And, and we'd go, you know, the only thing we had sometimes, you know, we didn't have money back then. Uh, we'd have cereal. We'd go, <laughs> you know, and then uh, we got to know somebody in the, Piggly Wiggly, I think it was called. <laughs> yeah. Right? And we knew one of the cashiers, so we'd go there and get steaks and everything. What do you mean? Some steaks yeah. fell off the back of the truck or what? No, we did it correctly. We went and we we went over there, put all the steaks and whatever it is, and it cost us maybe $3. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Uh, you know? So you fractured a few laws as a ute before you went into well, law they, enforcement. She treated us good, Connie. She, her name was Connie. And uh, she married this guy, uh, Jim Caldwell, good guy. He winds up going to Vietnam and gets killed. It was crazy. It was just a wild time at that uh, state in the 60s. You know, then the Black Panthers came a little bit to the college. And it was a different type of ball game, you know. So so you, anyway, but you made it through in four years, right? Uh, yeah. Four, uh, one day, got four, four and a half, four years. Yeah, four years. Okay. Yeah, I graduated. So when you graduated and you said you, you, they tried to get you to stay out there, they want you to work on Omaha PD or were they trying to get you into law enforcement no. out there? Well, my fraternity brother, uh, I was I belonged to Teak, Dow Kappa Epsilon. Well, you know what they say, if you can't go Greek, go Teak. Well, I went Teak, bro. <laughs> I mean, they had a jock fraternity and stuff. I like the guys from Teak. I was sort of different. If I liked something and, and this was the, the norm, uh, I and if I liked something else, I'd do it. So I went with Teak, and uh, the brothers were good there. They we used to have a section. It used to call. It used to be called the Wampy Room, where everybody hung out and stuff and cafeteria. And we had a section from New Jersey. Uh, it was called Garbage Corner, <laughs> right? <laughs> and the girl, they hated us. We wouldn't. Was, they never saw anybody like us, really. And what happened is, before you know it. They were all moved in with, came by us and started sitting, and all the other fraternities were a little bit pissed, but they couldn't do anything about it. 
You know, we had, we had a great time. Uh, we had great parties, you know, uh, <laughs> it was just a wild time, just a wild time. Well, and, and the reason we're kind of laying all this out, cause this, this factors in later into your career and, you know, your ability to work undercover. So did you stay, did you get job offers in Omaha? Did you stay there or did you decide had, I'm moving back? Well, I, I was the type of person I started hanging around with. I told you, you know, South Homo crowd. And there was also, uh, a real crowd that was really a Mexican crowd that was tough, tough South Omaha. And they took a like, I'm, I'm telling you, I, I mean, I went everywhere. I had no problems. Uh, and um, it was just glad that I went there. It was just either faith or something that, you know, I wasn't going to swing John Henry for, you know, right. All day. And, uh, Bust your back. It wasn't my type. Yeah. Yep. So how did yep. you end up this back was, in New Jersey then? No job offers? What happened was they offered me, uh, my fraternity brother's father was connected out there, and he offered me a job for $10,000. And that was a lot of money back then. Just getting out of school for $10,000. Uh, to run a recreation program out there. And I did that in the summer once in a while. I stayed out there and I uh, helped out in uh, in different communities that were low incomes. And uh, so I stayed during the summer and worked in those areas that uh, were really hard hit in Omaha and worked with the kids and everything. And I got along with a lot of people. So they offered me the job for $10,000 and I told him I really appreciate it, but I, I'm, I'm going home. And I went home and uh, I put a couple of resumes into the school I went to at Hackensack High School and I started substitute teaching. Oh, and before that, yeah. And also I played for the, I still have the information. I played uh, linebacker for the Jersey Jays in Jersey City. They were the farm team for the Cleveland Browns at that time. What were you just doing? How'd you, how'd you score that? You just walk on or what? I walked on and I made it and they were paying $100 to $200 a game. So. So some semi-pro you know, football, huh? Yeah. And then uh, I also was um, playing, um, you know, baseball and all that. I, I did baseball out in Omaha. I walked on and Coach Yelkin, who was the Pan Am coach uh, for the Olympics and stuff. And... Uh, he says, what are you doing here? I said, he says, you play baseball? I said, I love baseball. And they were all looking at me. Now, it's spring practice also down at the football field. I go upstairs and I'm, he says, all right, go ahead. So bottom line is I started batting fourth. I'm going on the Southern tour. I'm doing a hell of a job, man. I'm on the radio with these people. Uh, I'm just knocking the shit out of the ball. And um, I was always good. Baseball player. I love baseball player. What I position? Love baseball. What uh, position was, did you play? I uh, started in the outfield, but then, uh, <laughs> you know, injuries and stuff. But I, that or first base. And uh, had a great time. But coach, then Coach Canigli called me and says, you know, you're on scholarship for um, football. So get your ass down there. <laughs> so I had to go back down to football for spring practice. But I loved football. I mean, baseball too. So, so when you just one of them things. Yeah. So when you went back home, how did you end up? Then you go through all of this stuff because your first job was in Bergen County, right, with the yeah, prosecutor's I, I office. Thought, how did you? How did that, you end up 
How did you end up doing that, considering you're in sports and doing all this other stuff? What led what you there? What happened was I started teaching, right, substitute teaching, and I put resumes out, and I put it in the Bergen County Prosecutor's Office, and they called me, went for, an, went for two interviews, and then they said, you have, congratulations, you have the job, you're going to start, I think it was 1970 or 1971, I started in the Bergen County Prosecutor's Office. And I now spent, you're an investigator for them, right? Yeah, spent about five years, they put me in narcotics, and then later on through them years I worked all different investigations uh, from homicides to uh, gambling, vice, uh, writing search. How long were you in? How long were you in the prosecutor's office? I'd say four and a half or five years. What was the most interesting case you worked on during that time? Well, some of them uh, assisting the homicide uh, squad, uh, the Sky Reldon killing all nurses. And uh, there were a lot of different homicides that were taking place there. And it was a great opportunity. Uh, matter of fact, the day I was leaving, uh, I, I left... I think it was in January, because in January I '76 I start with ATF. But I'm leaving that day, and they said, "Dom, you got to go to a place in Northvale. There was a homicide." I said, "Today's my last day." I said, "I'm, I'm, I'm go just go there, just go there." So I go there, and if somebody sliced up one of the cooks, sliced them up like uh, sliced bread, you know. So. Um, I called the lieutenant. I said, listen, you better get here because I'm on my way home and this is my last day. I said, so they sent other people in to take over this uh, homicide. But you get to see a lot of different, you know, uh, crimes. And uh, it was the best experience I've ever had. And I learned so much from being with the prosecutor's office in Bergen and all the different squads that I worked. And uh, like I said, they threw me in narcotics the first time. And, you know, I, I they sent me to a place in, I think it was Bergenfield, New Jersey. And I go upstairs and I'm meeting this guy for LSD. And I walk in and he's nodded out on the couch, man. He's all high. And there's all snow on the TV. He says, sit down, sit down. He says, isn't that a great program? I'm looking at what the fuck is he watching, right? It's all snow. He says, oh, man. He says, this is outrageous. He says, man, you you want some? I said, no, no. I came here to cop, man. I, you know, I said, it's okay. And we talked a while. And, and uh, <laughs> after that, then I leave to go downstairs. And I meet the guys and said, man. You were up there pretty long. I said, yeah. I said, we were talking and everything. I said, this guy's so strung out. It's pathetic. I said, he's got the TV on. There's snow. And he's telling me about the program that's on. You know, it's, it's like, wow. And uh, But the experiences was, was phenomenal. Uh, writing search warrants and... and Just learning all the testify. ropes. Testify. Yeah. And when I was going... When I went with ATF, and I'll tell you that later on... Uh, down at the academy, I was so ahead of the game, it was pathetic. It was like, wow. Did you work any uh, organized crime, too, while you were in there? Yeah. yeah. What kind of cases? Vice. A lot of gambling. 
a lot of gambling. Uh, you know, some of these guys like the homicide, you know, with the murders and all that. But uh, I did a lot of vice, too. Did you ever work undercover during that time? Yeah, I worked uh, my first. Oh, I think my first close to my first year, they sent me in as an undercover narcotics. That's all I was doing. When and I this first was with Bergen there, County, right? In Bergen County. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so I got a lot of different experience with different cases and uh, criminal organizations and everything. And and uh, it was just the best experience and learning process that I could have ever accomplished. What's the main city in Bergen County? Hackensack. Hackensack? That's the county seat. And how big is the county population-wise? Now? Just to guess back then, I mean, were you like a couple hundred thousand bigger than Yeah, a- back then. Back then. Uh Great city. Um, you know, there were different wards that, that I was in uh, that, you know, in Bergen we had for voting processes and all that. But I, you know, I was from the first ward. It was a good ward, good learning experience, experience because all the guys were older than me that I used to bounce around and uh, play baseball at Columbus Park. And uh, these guys were older than me and took me under their wing and, Later on, you know, they used to hang out at, at a, another bar, and uh, some were bank robberies. Uh, they, uh, when the Meadowlands was being built, man, they were hijacking everything you can think of. You know, these, these guys. Yeah, the Melody Bar. They used to hang out at this place called the Melody Bar. You should have seen this joint. You know, right across the street was the Italian bakery. Man, delicious. <laughs> where's Where's Bergen County in relation to Newark? Uh, Newark's about uh, twenty miles from here, so uh, we're in northern Bergen County. Okay, all right. Just to give the listeners a little bit of uh, uh, perspective here, let's say from uh, the New Jersey Turnpike or Newark Airport. Okay, uh, like I said, ten twenty miles. When you come in, that's all you see is the turnpike. You think, holy shit, what the hell is this place? However, let me tell you something. Has some of the beautiful areas, horse farms and uh, farms that you, you can imagine. I used to fly into Newark on a regular basis and take uh, and go over towards Murray Hill and Basking Ridge in that area. And so, yeah, I mean, beautiful. And, and but the thing is up there, there's lots and lots and lots of little departments. So when you're in Bergen County, see, this is unusual, you know, I because I came from a place to where... The, the district attorney, county attorney's offices, they didn't have their own investigative unit. Everything relied upon state and local. Why, what was it like to be there to be, uh, you know, an investigator uh, with a prosecutor's office, but now you're still having to work? Or did you have more jurisdiction than the local police uh, did in that area? Back then, uh, Bergen County, okay, was the, law, the head law enforcement for the county. There was 70. 71 or 72 municipalities that had their own separate police departments in Bergen County. And that's what I was saying. Every five miles down the road, you're in Scotch Plains, you're in this. Everybody's got a police department and a 911 center and everything. Yeah. And to this day, it's basically the same. Instead of making them precincts, see, the chiefs won't give up their domain, you know. Right. right. So uh, that's the way it is here. And uh, the county is the head law enforcement and the attorney general's office oversees the, you know, the county and the county oversees the police department. 
you know, and but everybody works together because if you don't work together today, you're lost. Yeah. Right. So let's right. talk about your path towards ATF. When is the first time you learned how to spell ATF? <laughs> well, when I was, when I decided to leave Bergen County, ATF was hard to spell. I had to go to the alphabet. And, why did you decide? Uh, why were you, you said you want you decided to leave Bergen County? Why? I wanted to see the difference between the federal government and the state. And I, I said, what is the difference? And I'll tell you what the difference was. More bullshit on a higher level, okay? <laughs> <laughs> More paperwork on that level. Oh, However, yeah. you have a lot more leadway. Your jurisdiction is everywhere. So it gives you a lot of leadway. And when I was searching, I went for interview, then with DEA, and then ATF. I was looking for a street agency. I, I didn't want to wear a suit and tie. And I, after the interviews and everything, uh, I liked ATF. And they called me for a second interview, and they said, we're hiring you. And uh, I said, okay. Uh, and I think I was making 10000 at the prosecutor's office, but you had to start as a GS-5 in New York at 8000 I said, I'm not taking the job. I said, I can't. So, wait a minute. You're turning down our job? I said, yeah, I'm turning it down. I said, I can't take it. So, I left. The boss from ATF calls me again, the head sack, and he says, uh, who's the special agent in charge? He says, listen, I want you to come in again. I want to talk to you. So, I come in. And he says, you're going to start off at 8,000. I'm going to show you a scale in five years. Are you going to make the same money in Bergen County in five years as I'm going to tell you you're guaranteed in five years here? I said, wow. So I took the job for 8,000. I took my money that I had in the pension out and subsidized that with the money that I was getting paid. And I just moved up the ladder, and and then as I'm taking the job for ATF, the prosecutor says, Dom, I'd like you to stay, and I'm willing to pay you another $10,000 to stay. I said, oh, man. He's going to pay you 20000 a year at that time? Yeah, yeah. What, you know, my first question was, hey, asshole, why aren't you paying me 20000 right now? Why do I have to quit to get the extra ten? <laughs> His name was Joe Woodcock, uh, and uh, he used to be the state senator here, and what a, what a great guy. And I said, I can't do it. I, I just got to see the difference. I just got to see it, and I got to feel it. So he goes, okay, good luck. Wish you the best. You know, he says, you can always come back here. And I said, thanks for the opportunity. I said, it was really enjoyable, and I learned a lot, and I went with ATF. What was your academy like? Where'd you go? And Yeah, where was it? It was down at the, called the Federal Law Enforcement Training Center in Glencoe, Georgia. Oh, beautiful place. And let me tell you something. When I went down there, I'm saying, where are they sending me? This is paradise. St. Simon's Island, Jekyll Island. I never heard <laughs> of these things before. Yeah. Jimmy Carter was then the president. And he fixed up those old military bases. It makes colleges look like secondary places. It's beautiful. And the area is absolutely stunning. Stunning. And uh, so, uh, you know, when I went down to the academy, 
you're only you're with all different agencies that hired, you know, Secret Service, the ATF, all, all will, will, will merge together because you're learning all the federal laws and everything. And you spend 10 weeks down there. And if you fail a test, you have one makeup. And if you fail that, you go home. Yeah. But I was fortunate it didn't happen to me. And uh, then I go down for ATF, which is another 10 weeks. Only ATF Academy, only ATF agents learning about different laws, what ATF does, doing explosive investigations, firearms training, uh, uh, debriefing informants, mock uh, trials. It, it was absolutely phenomenal. And writing search warrants and everything. And, and like I told you before, I had so much experience when we had to write papers up and the probable cause I had everything down to a T and and I guess because of the experience with uh, Bergen County Prosecutor's Office when we graduated down the academy I, I was the outstanding special agent in my class so All I right. presented everything and it was a great honor and uh, what kind and of I perk did back. you get for did, did you get to pick your duty station because of that because we had just talked with uh, Michelle Linhart who was the DEA administrator Steve uh, arranged that and she graduated top of her class, and they gave her her choice. But you didn't get a choice then. They where did they where did no, they? I didn't get a choice, and I wasn't on top of my. I mean, I wasn't uh, academically. I wasn't number one, but I mean, I passed everything, and I was just outstanding special agent. I guess that covers for everything, like overall, physical and firearms and book firearms work. training, uh, boxing. Uh, they had they had everything you had to do. And I ran the mile. I remember my best time ever was five five minutes and twenty six uh, seconds. That was that was good. That's good. To do nice. That. Yeah, I was flying. It takes yeah, Murph I five said, minutes and twenty six seconds just to get from his chair to the bathroom. So you're doing good. <laughs> it was, takes me longer than that to find a parking place at the track. You know. Yeah, I hear you. It was, <laughs> I was. You know, they start you off real slow, and it is hot in the mornings, man. Down oh yeah. There. If they put that bled black flag out, you don't even go out. You know, that's how hot it is. But it was a great experience. I loved it down there. And then I came back to the post of duty. And then I was assigned to a senior agent. His name was Alex Diatri. So go back. And you said you were assigned to a post of duty. What, what was, did you get, did you get to put in choice to say, hey, I'd like to go to these areas? Or did they just come in one day and say, Dom, here's where you're going? Told me, here's where you're going. And where you was that? that piece of, it was New York City. And when you sign that piece of paper, all right. They tell you where to go. You don't tell them where to go. Yeah. You might tell them where to go, but that, that doesn't mean that's, anything, does it? That's right. <laughs> you know. So is New York okay by you? Did you like the post? Yeah, I, I learned a lot in New York. Um, let me tell you something. I learned a lot from my Toyota Bergen County Prosecutor's Office when I was working there. Now this is a different ball game. Uh, doing a lot more undercover with a lot of mm, hardcore... New York people, okay? Uh, and, you know, when to come on strong, when to back off, you know, you, you better know your shit. And it took me, you know, a while through Alex Diatri, who we, who we partnered up with. He was a seasoned agent, and uh, we're very close today. Uh, worked with him for many, many years. He's out in Florida. Great, great agent. Great undercover agent. Learned a lot from him, worked a lot of organized crime with him, 
and he nurtured me right, you know, right up to various undercover operations that took place. It was it was amazing uh, run, amazing. Yeah, that background is very important because, you you know, what we're going to talk here a little bit later where you're going after the Iceman, you needed all that background and that experience to be able to handle this kind of situation. you have the experience, forget about that the Iceman case because you're not going to send a neophyte or anybody if you don't know where this guy's coming. I dealt with all hard criminals. Some of them were made guys that you don't meet for years. You have yeah. to work your way up to the ladder and maybe you'll meet them. I was doing it one-on-one. -on -one through this nice. operation that New York Police Department came in and well, let's let's talk about that for a second because let let me let me kind of lay out some things just to be clear. Um, when I think of like the top families and stuff, you know, maybe like what you might call the tier one. I mean, you know, we had the Bonanno, we had the Colombo, Gambino, Genovese, Lucchese. Were those the top? I mean, were those what you would consider the tier one crime families in New York, yeah. New Jersey? Yeah, your five families, unless you go back earlier, you know, when Joe. Musano and and uh, Lucky Luciano were, were putting things together here, but um, yeah, those, those the Bonanno, Colombo, Gambino, Genovese, Lucchese, you know, these are your top OC families, you know, and um, these are the type of people you know you're going to be dealing with. And you make a mistake on the street, you fucking die. Making mistakes doing undercover work uh, while you're training down at the academy, you can make all the mistakes you want. You get a second and third chance. On the street, you don't get a second chance. Maybe, if you're lucky, you may. Right. So let's talk about the origin of Michael Dominic Provenzano. Where did that come from? When I was a young kid, my Uncle Mickey was a... Uh, pro golfer and Tony pro used to come over Christmas time and uh, he'd come in with his wife and eat and I met him and my uncle used to tell me this is a very very powerful man very powerful and through the years as I'm growing up uh, and I'm getting into this undercover thing uh, I used the name Dominic Michael Provenzano and my name is Dominic Palafro, and I said, Dominic Provenzano fits perfectly. So uh, went and, uh, you know, had uh, a rap sheet made up with New York, uh, photographs of mug shots, and uh, just formulating a uh, background that, uh, with crime. So on and, that rap sheet, was there anything about knocking over bottles on bars and doing James Brown in Omaha? It said, practice your dances a little bit better. <laughs> yeah. Hey, by the way, here's a quick bit of trivia. Steve, let's see if you get this. You know what? So they talk about rap sheet. Do you know what rap stands for? No, I don't. Record of arrest and prosecution. That's where the name rap sheet comes from. <laughs> there you go. You just learned something today. Thank you very much. Another, -dum -bum. another, another piece of useless trivia. Here we go. Hey, I'm a student. <laughs> I'm a student of the art. So yeah, I actually, I had it reversed. I said Michael Dominic. It was Dominic Michael Provenzano, right? That was your yeah. UC name? Well, prior to that, he used to use the name Dominic Mucci, M-U-C-C-I. Now, a friend of mine named Bobby Mucci owned a, a restaurant in Hackensack. And I was using Dominic Mucci. And what happened is I did this case where we took down, believe it or not, 3,000 silences and um, no manufacture, no serial number, nothing. They were, were excellent. The guy thought he was selling to the uh, uh, 
IRA and all kinds of stuff. This this just one of the cases that I, I was I did a lot of things that just worked out. And uh, when I used to name Dominic Nucci, this is no shit. He called me up one day and he says, Dom, you got to come and see me. So what's the matter? Come and see me. I come and see him. He goes, please change your name. Don't use Dominic Mucci. He says, two guys came from New York looking for, he says, your name's fucking Mucci. They thought it was him. Oh. Yeah. Oh. He says, Dom, he says, they scared the shit out of me. You know, and I said, no problem, no problem. So what happened is when I was getting arrested and stuff, they arrested a Dominic Mucci, which is me, you know, with the bad guy. And uh, so I, I, I did change it, you know, but he wow. told me, he says he was scared shit. These heavyweights from New York came, you know? Yeah. Well, talk about Holy Provenzano, cow. because that actually is, that's not just a name you picked out of thin air, like you're talking about, some, but, but it, that actually had carried a lot of weight up in the New York, New Jersey area, didn't it? Well, what happened is you don't go boast, you know, hey, listen, uh, they know if you're connected. Okay, I use the name Provenzano, all right? Some will say, hey, I know your brother downtown. He's a good fella. I'm not going to say a word. He can be from the Bonanno family. He could be from the Lucchese because everybody's earning and they don't want to tell the other people they're earning. So everybody earns on the side. I don't care what family you're from. Okay. You do a little bit with this family, you do a little bit with that family and everybody's happy unless somebody gets taken down. Oh, capitalism so, is a great thing, comrade. Everybody's looking to make money. It is. The green buck, man. I'm telling you. I was getting stuff I w on consignment. It got to be crazy after a while. On consignment. Okay. I, uh, I remember when uh, OCCB came to New York. Uh, and uh, What's OCCB? I'm sorry, they came, it's the organized crime unit that was run by Joe Coffey, uh, who passed away right now. Great uh, organized crime person. If you looked him up, Joe Coffey, uh, you'll see him a uh, phenomenal person. And I got to know him real well. And they brought this individual o over that was going to be on a witness protection program. And we, they were looking for an individual that would fit with him to go bounce all over the place and work this organized crime cases that he was going to make the introduction and then get him out of the picture and put him on a witness protection program, him and his family. So we sat down for close to two hours in the boss's office at ATF. And finally, Kenny says, who was the informant, says, I want him. I can work with him. Well, what did you do during that two hours? You said you sat down. Was was he like testing you, quizzing you? What was he doing? Yeah, he was just he was talking to me, saying, uh, you know, Italian family, we're back and forth, we're kidding around a little bit, bullshitting, and uh, he liked my demeanor, um, working undercover, uh, just felt comfortable. So what happened is, as a test, he tells the bosses, I can work with him. Five o'clock, he makes a phone call to a guy named Johnny Centoro from Queens, a made guy. He says, listen, we're going to go meet John Centura, and we're going to rent sort of shotguns. It's okay. We go. Went like clockwork. I went in, went with him, met with Johnny Centura and him at the Queen's home. 
sells me, uh, rents me sort of shotguns. I give him the money, went to that person. We said we're going to rip off some Hummels. We'll split the proceeds with you. What, and you're you're going to rip off some what? Hummels. What are Hummels? Hum- well, those little figurines that you see, they're very, they were very expensive. The Hummels, they're uh, like little figures. Okay. Man, you're tied up. You got to get out of that fucking office. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it's not, it's not for me. It's for the people who don't know. They can't understand you. I'm interpreting. I thought you said I, Hummers. I'm going. What are you doing hum- with two thousand Hummers? Hummers. They're little. I thought. I thought maybe this is another Italian pastry. You know. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're little figures. They're little figures. Okay, right. and uh, just go to any uh, store. You, you, you know, uh, you'll, you'll now they're not as expensive. Sorry, I'm not as sophisticated as you made guys from New York. You know, I'm sorry. Next time you're in Queens, Morgan, <laughs> go in, go in the store and ask if they got any hobbles. Okay. See what they show you. <laughs> they got them by you. <laughs> and um, so that opened up the door. We went back, and uh, he was going to start introducing me to made people and it took off it was in the oh 77 70 something like that in the 70s 78 maybe and they formulated uh uh task force uh joe kelly from atf and john o'brien were the were uh, in charge of this investigation through New York City Police Department and Joe Coffey. And when I tell you I was meeting so many people, I was working from like 10 o'clock in the morning, sometimes till three in the morning. And sometimes I just get home and I had to go back out, uh, meeting all these figures that were made guys, some on the lam. Uh, one was a made guy from, we, we set up a place at JFK Airport. And this made guy came in this Cadillac from uh, the Bronx. And they approved to front $10,000 up front. He came to the hotel, came to the room, gave him the $10,000. He says, I'll call you every half hour. And whose money was this? This was the police department's money. NYPD. Well, NYPD. Now, this is, you don't front money, man. Nobody fronts money. Right. Nobody. And back then, this was like, this is a new history thing. You know, this is, holy shit. In addition to that, we're going to buy two more packs of heroin uh, for $10,000 each. We're going to spend $30,000 that night. So I give him the $10,000. I give him the ten grand, And uh, sure enough, he calls back every half hour. Just letting you know, everything's good, everything's good. I'd say within two hours or so, he comes back, and he's got the other two packs of heroin. I give him the additional $20,000. Guy walks out clear, no problems. Now, he just, I just paid him thirty grand. Word got out, you know, I'm gold. I'm fucking gold, yeah. you know. And uh, I'm meeting... People from all over uh, buying silences, dynamite, pipe bombs. Uh, hey, Dom, if you would, guns. tell our listeners what a made guy is. We know what it is, but can you explain to it? A made guy is an organized crime figure that made his bones uh, possibly by killing individuals for the mob or for a certain family. 
and then they'd bring him uh, into an area, a closed room, and welcome him as part of their family in the Gambino family. And some say that, you know, prick his finger, put blood, put a saint picture in his hand, light it up, and welcome him to the family. Now, he becomes a made guy, and he can get that either by doing hits for the family or making lots and lots of monies for these families, and they make him a made guy, and he runs his own crew. Now he has several guys under him, and you don't fuck with a made guy. He calls the shots, okay? He's got his own crew, and they're money makers. He, they bring in the money Okay, to that individual, that individual also gives it to the head boss, and everybody's happy, and it's on like almost a weekly basis here where they're earning money from Shylock into hijackings, you name it. And that individual that is a made person, now he's a respected individual by the people. Now, can anybody be made a made guy? Not you. You got Irish right. blood in you. That's right. You and you be, talk funny. Yeah, and I talk funny. You gotta be, you gotta be full-blooded Italian, okay? Or else you can't get, you won't be made. Same like Kukunski, he was a big associate of them, okay? But he now, was Polish. Gonna, he was Polish, okay? He can do all the hits he wants. He can murder everybody, but he'll never become a made guy. He's just be a so associate, okay? Only Italians. And uh, good thing they didn't have DNA. You can imagine if they checked the DNA today. You got a little bit of this. You got a little bit of that. You're a mutt. <laughs> You're a mutt. <laughs> Where am I going to place you? <laughs> you know. Uh, yeah. That's good. It's good. So you. So you're gold now. This this made guy walks out, and basically because you did the deal, this guy walks. You first of all, you friend him, Tim Grand, which he's thinking. I got to be. I'm sitting here going. He's got to be thinking at that time. Nobody fronts ten grand unless you're legitimate. If you're the cops, you don't let money like that walk. So that's right. Nobody did that. And so or even in no, the drug business, even real criminals don't front the yeah. money. They must. They may have uh, a, a buy bust where they show the show the monies, but that money. Yeah, not they don't. Walking. They don't let money walk like that. No. Yeah. No. So so and, you're golden, man. So it's like you you're like a freaking fast food drive through, man. You're taking orders left and right now, aren't you? Well, I couldn't keep up after a while. Uh, I was going to after hour clubs uh, and. Um, Jesus, they had machine gun with silences. I'm telling you, like 10 of them in the guy's trunk in Brooklyn, uh, Bath Avenue area in Brooklyn. These guys were hanging out on, I think it was 15th and Bath Avenue. You should have seen this place. And there I, I met with uh, Vinnie Gotti. And I bought cocaine at the hey, hold on. Red Box. You can't pass over that name. Vinnie Gotti is the, the, is the younger brother of John Gotti, right? The Teflon Don. That's correct. Yeah. And I met him at the, uh, it was called the Bedrock Bar on, I think it was Bath Avenue. And he was going to sell me heroin. And he does. He sells me heroin. I pay him. And they had hijacked loads of swag and everything and what they did was when that truck came in all those proceeds most of them okay they would take care of the neighborhood all the kids all the parents they get everything and then 
they put the rest at a location. So when the cops come, nobody knows nothing. I didn't see anything because they take care of the neighborhood. So I don't know nothing. No, they were, I haven't seen anybody. I didn't see a truck, you know. So they don't they don't rap, man, because they took care of the people in the neighborhood first. First. That's what you have to do first. Okay? And that's the way it's worked out, man. And uh, they did everything. Everything. And, and I was meeting all these guys. And uh, I remember uh, this guy, Chipper. I'm over there in, uh, I think it was Brooklyn. And Chipper had a shop, and they were selling me machine guns. And I said, what? I go to the shop and had tow trucks all around it. And you know all them steel things they have that close that they protect them from, look like hurricane shutters, but yeah. they're mm -hmm. made out of steel. So I said, how do I know this is, I don't know if this is a machine gun. He gets the tow trucks, they go around, they circle the building, and they rev it up and they close the doors, those uh, hurricane shutters. I load that fucking bad boy clip up, man, and Man, I shot the shit out of that. And I said, hey, I guess it's a machine gun, you know? <laughs> so, yeah. And I and I bought that. And, uh, you know, I was just buying everything. Uh, and this is true, too. I mean, I could talk about it now. There was one guy in Brooklyn. I, I happened to be hanging out at a location. And he comes up to me and he says, I have these firearms I want to sell. And I look at him. They want your everyday guns, like these were like top of, like revolvers, and you know, want your pistols, and it looked like somebody like a collector or something. I said, well, "What are you doing with them guns?" He goes, "I got to sell them." I said, "Well, how much you want?" I don't know what the figure was, maybe two hundred a gun or whatever it was. And I said, well, "Why are you selling them?" He goes, "My son's in the hospital." He says, and he's getting an operation. He says, I have no more money. I says, I got to get this. I got to I gotta sell these. I don't want them. And he goes, what do you mean? I said, I don't want them. He says, I got to sell these. I said, listen, man, do yourself a favor. Go see if you can work something else out. But I, I'm not buying. I didn't buy them. I didn't buy them. I'm not going to. You know, if I was on my dire straits and my son was in the hospital, there's a lot of things that you may have to do that you don't want to do, but you will do to make them survive. You right. Know? So right. that's life. But but you the know? real reason you didn't buy the five guns from him is you didn't want to have to arrest him and indict him, right? That's correct. So yeah. this guy got a free in this operation. This he got a he got a free Pasadena man. Which to is go you know you got to make decisions like that. Everybody thinks it's black and white, but it's not, right? Man, working in that world, it's all shades it of gray. It all depends who you're working with. And the people, because, you know, when I came back, I said, listen, I didn't like the guns. I didn't. You had to come up on. with an excuse why you didn't yeah. buy the guns from him. They looked yeah. at me and I said, forget about it. <laughs> and they looked at me and just said, okay, didn't ask any questions or anything like that. That's the truth. Oh, my kids. Well, when, I, when I say that, it never comes out like that. Forget about it. Forget about it. Forget yeah. about it. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey! Let me ask you, Don. Were you ever offered uh, or solicited to commit a murder? Yeah, yeah. And that was by the def the families. This was, believe it or not, from Dyna owners. I don't know what. Let me give you a little history. The Dyna owners from New Jersey and New York, on 
Friday and Saturday nights, about two o'clock in the morning, would wind up going to a place in Astoria, Queens. Now this individual, Petro, invites me there. He's like the Greek godfather. I go upstairs, and let me tell you something, they got four huge uh, bodyguards. And I said, Petro sent me in. Petro comes to the door. Hey, how you doing? Come on, let him in. I go in. Inside are the most beautiful women you've ever seen with no clothes, but with a silk wrapping. That's it. All the booze that you can imagine and food. And it looked like a shuffleboard table loaded with money playing babook. If you look it up, it's a big Greek game, babook. Man, I'm telling you, man, they were fucking loaded with monies and, and partying like you wouldn't believe. So then Petro calls me in. He says, I'd like to talk to you on the matter. So we sit down in his private office upstairs, and he says, listen, do you know the Claremont Diner on Route 3? It was sort of like in Clifton on Route 3. And I said, yeah, I know that. He says, I'd like you to uh, blow it up. Just like that. Just like that. I said, I'll tell you the truth. I said, let me think about it. I said, I, I got a lot of options. I said, if I take it, I'll do it. I said, but I don't want to hold you up or anything like that because I can't get involved with all this shit, you know, because then it puts a hamper and then you got to stop the investigation or it may, may jeopardize the whole investigation. And, so, and Dom, at that point too, are are you wired at this point? Are you are you recording conversations? Yeah. Tell, tell, yeah. Let folks back in the 70s, right? What, what, what was it called and where did you have to hide it and what did it look like? It was a Nagra recording, an, a Nagra recorder. It was like eight inches by five and it was had reel-to-reel little old-fashioned old cassette. Not cassettes, but, but The, the old-fashioned reel-to-reels, yeah. Reel-to-reel. But it was a miniature. You got to remember, if you if you see the big one, you got to imagine how they compounded and compressed it to the small piece of equipment, and it's reel to reel. And the conversations on that that from that recording that it's phenomenal. I mean, it comes out really clear. How long could a how long could a, a Nagra last? You know, on a typical. Uh, it depends. You put it on slow. I, I would say about. A good hour and a half to two hours tops. And those things tended to get hot too, didn't they? Well, yeah, I'd, I'd have it inside my leather jacket that I would wear. And, uh, you know, I didn't let anybody touch me. There's the, I'll tell you some other scenarios, but getting ahead well, but of myself. But real quick, though, on that, though, you said you didn't. When somebody tried to search you or touch you, what was your response? How did you respond to that? Well, I'm buying bearer bonds from an individual, and uh, he's sitting down with his gumadas in New York City at a restaurant. She comes up to me, and she starts rubbing my shoulder, and I told her, while he's there, get your fucking hands off. And he goes, well, what's the matter? I said, what's the matter? I don't let nobody fucking touch me. Do I come and touch you? This is the people he's, he, she's with, and I, uh, who I'm dealing with bearer bonds, and they were stolen. And he goes, well, how do I know you're not a cop? I said, look, I came here to do business. Either we do business or I walk out the door. I'm not here to fuck around. I said, this is business. He goes, how do I know you're not a cop? I said, why don't you get up and let me search you and see if you're a fucking cop. This is true, right in the restaurant. So, and I learned this from my partner, Alex. And now I got to bluff him. So he says, 
how do I know you got not a cop? I said, fuck you. I get up and I start undoing my pants. And now it's crowded. They're not the place. And they're looking. You're I'm dropping trousers right in the middle and of a I restaurant? Say, I told the guy, Sweat, get up. And I'm saying this loud so people look. And I said, get up and start taking your fucking clothes off. And I'm undoing my belt. And he goes, whoa, sit the fuck. Just sit down. I sit down. He goes, here's the bear bonds. I, I'm, yeah, I got the bear bonds on consignment. And, uh, you know, later on he was arrested. So, Dom, getting back into your meeting with this guy, now he wants you to blow up this place. We talked about you're wired, you're recording this. What, what came out of that? How did you artfully get out of, because uh, like you said, if you blew up the place or if, he, if you actually took the job, the contract, it kind of puts an end to the whole uh, operation. So how did you get around having to uh, work that out with him? I just said, I get back to you. I said, uh, you know, I don't want to say something that if I can't do it, that's not my bond. I said, if I tell you we're going to do something, we're going to do it. I said, I appreciate the offer. He says, okay. He says, I like your answer. I told him just like it is. And uh, he says, go out and enjoy yourself, which I did. You know, had a drink and stayed a little bit. And then uh, I left. Um, And here's the ironic part about it, though. Down the road, they did pipe bomb it. Say, did you end up finding out who did it? No, this was down the road. Nope. All right. Hey, so... um, You only can do so much with all the information. Yeah. The same thing working with Kukunski, hanging out at this store. People would come by and they were going to break some legs and stuff. You, I can't run to a phone and say, hey, listen, they're going down to the docks to break legs. The guy was late with a, with a big payment. You, you know, unless you knew the guy was going to be killed or yeah. who that guy was, you know, you, you got to... So you... When, when they ask you to do this, you would never ask them why, would you? No. No. I mean, it's just business. They're going to say, it's you your fucking it. Hey, you take yeah. the contract. You, you don't ask questions. Right. They give you either a picture or this and that. And, uh, you know, they give you a little down payment. I was like the diner owners. I was telling you about what happened there. Uh, I had a woman whose husband, they both owned a diner, and it was in Jersey here. And she wanted her husband killed because she has this new boyfriend. And uh, so I took the contract and she gave me the down payment. And I had to fly to Colorado. I was doing gun deals in Colorado. So they called me up and says, can you have her show up at the uh, Burger King uh, with the rest of the money? So I called her up. I said, have a come down and I told her the deal was done and I told her it was taken care of I said meet me at the Burger King at the location we first met at she does and they take it down had nothing to do it was like a separate investigation had nothing to do with jeopardize me okay mm-hmm. so that but this is going on while you're working all the families and buying yeah. all the guns and stuff yeah. okay yeah, so how not- much were how much was she paying to have her husband killed um, I think it was, I, I think three grand or whatever, maybe three grand. I think she gave me uh 500 down payment or something like that. This, yeah. this was, you know, several years ago. And, uh, and he took it down. And ladies, don't think you can get your husband killed these days for 3000 It's a lot more than no, that. No, it's going to cost you. It all depends. <laughs> How do you want it? You want it to look by an accident or you want it to look 
message. <laughs> hey, well, you're almost sounding too good at this, and which is kind of my next question is you're in the middle of all of this because we're going to bring this part to a close because we're going to get into the Iceman. But how do you, you know, you're now meeting with people that are powerful. There's money all over the place. There's women. There's all of this other stuff. How do you keep yourself on the side of law and order without crossing over? Because there's, it's, you know, it's, it's like freaking Star Wars and, you know, uh, Darth Vader, you know, the dark side, man. There's a lot of pull. There's a lot of people we know over the years that have worked UC that cross the line. Wait, there's a difference between approaching the line and crossing the line. How'd you approach the line without crossing it? I'm glad you mentioned that. Uh, while we're doing this investigation, when they had enough of evidence, don't forget, nobody was arrested except... What had happened was there were 61 people that they took down, made and associate people with organized crime. And I was real good at this. Let's say, for instance, okay, Steve, Steve and I are doing business. And I said, Steve, I said, listen, we got to expand here. You know, I said, uh, you're making men ends meet, I'm making ends meet. And uh, he comes one day, and we're talking. And I said, uh, listen, I got to meet some people. I, I got to expand. He says, no problem. He brings in Morgan. Morgan comes. This is my partner. We do, we do some more business. I pay you. I pay him. Okay? Everything's going. Say the same thing to Morgan. I said, Morgan, listen. I can't bring Steve every fucking time we do business. You take care of him or whatever we're going to do, but I'm not going to call him, then I then he calls you. I want to call you. We're both earning money. You want to give him a piece that's up to you. No, you're right. He and I and Morgan are doing business. Same thing. Morgan, finally, he's got some other people. He says, listen, he says, this is Tony. Hey, Tony, how you doing? Blah, blah, blah. We do the same thing. Hey, Tony, listen. I can't be calling freaking Morgan every fucking time. You want to earn? You call me. Sure enough, Tony calls me. Wait, and it wait goes a minute. On. You're using me and you're dropping me? You're That's breaking right. up with me? <laughs> I'm fucking dropping you. And I go all the way down. Now, this is, let's say, months go by. Okay? I have, I said, take down Morgan. I said, he may be, he may cooperate with you. Why don't you take down Morgan? They take down Morgan for selling guns. You're going to go, oh, fuck. That fucking Steve. It had to be fucking Steve. It had to be Steve. That son of a bitch. It can't be Dom. It's got to be Steve. Dom's still out there. That fucking Steve. He's the rat. So he can think it's you. Okay. And that's what I've been, you know, you go down, you you have a spreadsheet down the road. They don't know who's who anymore. Mm -hmm. They have no. You're protected. Yeah. They have no clue who's who. I mean, you got 60-something people. I mean, I'm meeting people. They're bringing in guys. You go to clubs. They're doing this. You know, you, you got to know your surroundings. Nice. Am I making sense or am I? Oh, no, oh, yeah. this, no. is, this is great. Uh, you you know, got it. Sometimes I think I'm rushing because I got so much in my head. Oh, and then I meant to tell you we were talking about. Uh, wait a minute. Um well, we were going through the, the the you were going through the woman that just had the contract and the guys that just got arrested. So, 
there was something else just back what the hell was that backup and I wanted to tell you something uh, it probably come to me later damn it uh, that's 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 okay we'll, we'll we'll figure this out because I mean you're wearing wires you're making cases um you've got this operation going on how many months does this operation go on oh, before you finally this go goes on, this goes on one day they're gonna start taking people down so I meet Frankie Motorcycle. He he works for the mob, uh, supplies them with explosives and stuff. I buy an explosives from now on from him. And then uh, he, on the date they tell me, uh, April 1st, we're taking everybody down. So I'm meeting everybody before April 1st. I said, hey, Steve, do me a favor. You know, by the 1st, uh, I definitely need a couple of weapons. You have I meet Morgan. Morgan, listen, I need the dynamite and I need some silences. You supply them. Okay, on that day. And this is basically the same thing all the way down. And what happens is when they go execute the warrants and all that, you're in possession of weapons. You're in possession, Morgan, of dynamite and plastic. And we seize all this and, you know, take us down. Oh, and what I wanted to tell you is that now it came back. When we took everybody down, they summoned me to Brooklyn South Narcotics. There's all there's several people that were arrested, and one is a made guy. And this young Turk gets up, and I'm with the cops, and they go, "Tomorrow I'll be pissing on your fucking grave because you won't be around." He says to me. So the made guy gets up. He says, sit the fuck down. He tells this kid, sit the fuck down. He goes, he didn't fuck our woman. He did his job right. He never did cocaine. He never played with us. He did what he had to do, and he did it the right way. He says, so I got to have respect for him. The fucking rat who introduced us to him, to meaning the rat that introduced me to them, that's who you want. Not him, because he never crossed the fucking line. That's God's honest truth. Right in Brooklyn, wow. South Narcotics. And what happened is, you know the old-fashioned toilets they had that went up and they flushed and yeah. stuff? Mm -hmm. Well, they took that fucking wise kid. They took him in the fucking men's room. His fucking head, I'm surprised he's still breathing. They stuffed it in the toilet and flushing it. I thought <laughs> they were going to put him right through the drains. <laughs> So, so there really is a code of honor between law enforcement and the mob when you're working stuff like that. Hey, there's a code, but, you know, long as you keep, you, you, you can't go fuck their woman, fuck their wives. You can't, you know, you got to do it the right way because on the stand, it's all going to come throw out. All this out. Yep. Yep. You know, you're going to have five, six guys say, no, this fucking guy was doing coke with us. This guy did this, this guy, you know. Look, I have my tapes on. I, you know, never did anything. I had a guy named Rudy Caprino. Just got out doing 10 years. Just got out of prison. He was out in Queens. Sells me a machine gun. His wife, Dom, she got to like me. She, he says, Dom, he says, I'm going to teach you like you're my son. He says, we're going to do cocaine. He says, listen to me real carefully. He says, I'm going to teach you. We buy a key, okay? And the key is 2.2 .2 pounds. 
he says, take the point two and put it to the side. Sell the, sell the key. Get another one. Put the other two point on the side. Then you build a kilo. That's all free. That's a solid kilo that you have is all yours. You break it down. We're going to make $100,000 on this easy. He says, trust me. I break it down. I cut it. His wife's making me sausage and peppers. I swear. And I said, this motherfucker's <laughs> going away so far, they're pumping him day daylight. And that's what happened. It's a hey, shame. Steve, are you taking notes here? Because you need, I mean, this this is the way to work dope investigations. <laughs> yeah, look who's talking. Look who's talking there. This, this was crazy. These guys took a liking to me. Uh, it's from swag to, I had a book. And uh, I was telling uh, Florio, uh, Federico Castellucci, who plays Florio Gunta on... Uh, the Sopranos, yeah. The Sopranos. He has the ponytail. Because we're doing some things, and I had a book, and I had a lake house one time, and I said, I sold it, and no, listen. They gave it to me as a present. Every person that I rested in this mob person, what they were, that, what they were rested for what they sold me and pictures of them and what family and 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 if they were made or wow. associate this was do you believe i threw that fucking book away i oh. after a while i'm saying all these years i got a dumpster and i said when am i ever going to use this now everybody's calling this you got this you got what about this time what about this i'm saying to myself yeah in my fucking head i got it but that's about it it's just it's a shame well, so you made so I got a couple questions for you because look, this is a big time operation and look, corruption was not unknown in law enforcement in New York, New Jersey in that area. How did you get through this whole operation or did you and it just didn't have an impact, but how did you even get through the point where you're putting everybody together to go out in the arrest and this thing doesn't leak out? I they didn't uh believe it or not, I, I didn't put it together. They had I told you Joe Kelly, mm -hmm. John O'Brien, and OCCB, Organized Crime Unit, at one police plaza. When I walked into that fucking auditorium, I looked around. I swear to God, there must have been 2,000 cops. I'm saying, what the fuck is this? They had teams of all packets of individuals that we were taking down, 61 of them, because I had to look at the placards. There was 61, okay? They took them down to each one. I think there were a team of four or five. They gave them where all the information they had where they were. Everybody then was briefed. No calls, no nothing. It was set up with a with a with ATF and an, and a team of uh, New York City Police Department uh, detectives that were great. They went out and the scenario was everybody leaves at 12 o'clock. You go to your designated area. At 6 o'clock in the morning, I don't give a fuck if you find them at 12.02. You don't take them down until 6 o'clock in the morning. So I'm at a command post at, by ATF, and I'm hearing at 6 o'clock. They were putting these guys, uh, if they had their girlfriends, wherever they were, they put them to bed until 6 o'clock. They took everybody down at 6 o'clock. Man, they were taking people down left and right. Team 1. Done. Team two, done. Team six, done. Team 10, done. Team 12, done. I say, holy shit. I mean, they had a whole list, you know? And then um, they had the, uh, took them to federal court and uh, took them down. And uh, it was one of the biggest mob raids in 20 years. It was on the Post and the New York uh, 
uh, Daily News. Uh, I, I think uh, Federico has, I gave him the headlines of the papers that I had, and it was the biggest mob raid in, in 20 years. On the New York Post, my bosses are there holding several machine guns with silences on and, them. And you hit upon, when you made arrests, you were able to make arrests across all five families, right? Everybody yeah. got tagged, right? How yeah. many made guys? You know, there are quite a few made guys and associates. I, I don't have that information. Uh, there were just 61, uh, as I'm reading the information on this plaque that I have up there. No, that's okay. Just just roughly like 10%, 20% of them were made guys, you think? Hey, hey look, it's not a math uh, problem. Don't, don't. Yeah. No, no. <laughs> Wait a minute. Maybe Carry 10, the two, four times nine. Okay. I don't know. Maybe, maybe 10. I, you know, well, still, that's, that's a big impact. Murph, you were about to yeah. say something. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, in Atlanta, we we had some uh, major operations like that where you take down multiple defendants at the same time. But I think the most cops we ever had was 300 at one time in an auditorium. I can't imagine having 2,000 cops. Let me cops. tell you something. I was taken back. I mean, I'm saying approximately two. It was my police blast. I don't know if you ever went to see the auditoriums where oh, people yeah. graduate. I'm looking. It was packed. Yeah. It was packed. I'm going, I can't fucking believe this. It's, That's huge. Yeah. It was huge. They had. Uh, it was what? It was huge. <laughs> <laughs> it was large. It was large, Morgan. Huge. Do you understand me? <laughs> Do you understand the words that are coming out of my mouth? Fucking uh, guys, man. They don't understand English. You're in Virginia? <laughs> I'm from Kansas. Just cut me a break. Christ. Uh, you remember you went through Kansas to get to Nebraska. There wasn't anything there. I was did. It? I looked for Dorothy. <laughs> I dated Dorothy. She she was uh, by the way, Dorothy was from Colby, Kansas, for those of you uh keeping score here. So as the result of this oh, oh yeah. Afterwards, uh the police I got the pictures. The police commissioner, Chief Courtney. And the deputy chief, we were flown to Washington, D.C. And we received, I received the Exceptional Service Award. It was one of the highest awards from the Treasury. And as I'm, and the police department got the silver um, coin, a silver, I don't know if it was from the mint, but mine had in gold the coin stamped with the mint. And on the back, it shows the picture of the mint in Washington and my name on it. I wish I had the coin somewhere here in a safe box. And, uh, you know, got this award and uh, from the Secretary of Treasury and stuff. And it was nice. Then we flew back from Washington back to New York. Yeah. And so that's, and you know, and that's that's a great depiction here. You you have risked your butt out there for months and months and months working against some of the most dangerous people in the world who are known to be stone-cold killers simply for disrespecting somebody. You can get killed for that. Absolutely. And and here you go, man, and they bring you to Washington, and you get a coin and a, and a piece of paper, and then it's pat on the back, and uh, get back to work, brother. It's I rested 61 mob That's, guys, and all I got was this lousy T-shirt, you know? It means, yeah. means nothing. Um, yeah. You know, you got to remember, a lot of people didn't make their bones on the street. Some just advanced to Washington or to whoever, you know, just doing that. Uh, that's no matter where you go. Uh, like I was assigned then uh, to a called the Armed Criminal Enforcement Study in Washington, D.C. 
where I had to go ahead of time because Washington, D.C. became the murder capital of the world. Uh, I mean, of the United States in the 80s. And they didn't complain until the start happening near the capital. Right, the first district, then the then the the seventh, the sixth, the fourth district. But let me tell you something. It was unbelievable. We formed a task force, ATF, and we deputized the Metropolitan Police Department. We fucking rocked. We fucking rocked. And they had the czar at the time. I, uh, uh, I can't think of it. And then there was a judge. Uh, also, but anyway, we're doing warrants, high risk search warrants. We were so fucking good. We were taking people down. If you do your homework, I don't know how you can find it, but there's a, what's called the city under siege in Washington, DC city under siege. And every night it was on at seven o'clock. You thought you were looking at a foreign country. Fucking people getting killed. Somebody bought a brand new uh, kids work for sneakers. They'd kill them for the sneakers. I mean, it was fucking wild. Crack cocaine was on the rise. Guns. We were knocking them dead. Uh, and it was city under siege, man. It was unbelievable on every night. It was like you become a celebrity because, they, you know, they had you on TV constantly. Uh, it was it was amazing. Amazing. What sounds we did sounds like Chicago nowadays, right? Yeah. 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 Unbelievable. Hey, so out of the, so as to put a, a final note on this case, out of the, all the guys you arrested, how many ended up getting uh, convicted or taking deals? A lot of them took deals. I don't think I went to one trial. No kidding. Yeah. Once you get the fucking tapes, man, what are you going to do? Yeah. Right. You know, uh, they spoke for themselves. I don't remember. I'm trying to think. I remember the Connie Cushing, her husband, her father was General Cushing. Mm -hmm. Okay. And uh, she calls me in and she goes, listen, we have a case that we're going to go to trial, blah, blah, blah. We spent fucking weeks going on and on, driving me crazy. And then the guy pleads. <laughs> but that's but that's the way it is. God, I remember those days, too. You do all this work for a case like a homicide case. You get ready. You're on your days off, but you show up for like a preliminary hearing. Oh, no, we're, we're, we're just going to waive the preliminary. And then you show up for the trial and you're doing all this work and they go, oh, we're going to take a plea. You didn't know that. Two yeah. hours ago, 10 hours ago, yeah. anyway. Yeah. But you know what? That's I had a federal prosecutor tell me this one time, and actually, I guess it hurt my feelings a little bit. He said, you know what, Murphy? He said, the best evidence you can bring me is videotape recordings. The second best is audio recordings. The third best evidence, that's your testimony. And I think, man, I'm a, I'm a straight-up guy. I've got integrity. You know, I, you can't believe me. And he's like, prove it to me. you got to prove it. Yeah. And he was right. He yeah. was right. So, and you're right. That's what it leads to is guilty pleas and, and plea bargaining. Yeah. I mean, look, there's many times, uh, even for people uh, that wanted me to do a hit to kill somebody, I always gave them the option. Say, hey, listen, we're sitting down in a car and they want this person murdered. And as say, listen, uh, you know, they're nervous you know, while they're talking to you. I say, hey, just chill. And I've always had it on my tape. Listen, if you don't want to do this, I don't have a problem with this here. You don't have to do this. So it's up to you. Once I take the contract, that's it. There's no pulling back. Prior to me taking that contract, you better think about it. Sometimes I'll give them the day. Go ahead, go think about it. They'll call me back. We have to meet. 
we meet. I want to do it. Are you sure? Yep. Okay. Hardly any what, defense to that when you're in court playing stuff like that. They've had multiple yeah, opportunities right. to back they out. Plead, they plead. <laughs> yeah. They plead. And yep. you learn all this sometimes by the seat of your ass, by trial and error. Okay, but when you open it up and say to you, you know, hey, Steve, listen, are you sure? Because once I take the contract, I don't want you to, I don't want to force you into anything. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? This is a tough fucking business. And then I don't want to see your fucking ass again. I don't want you to fucking, I want you to forget me. You understand mm -hmm. me? You know, you, you, it's the way you put it. And uh, I want to do it. Gives me the down payment. Okay. You'll hear from me in a couple of days when it's done. Uh, I got to check him out. You know where he goes. Yeah, he. this is the car he drives. This is a photograph of him. Uh, I know every morning he leaves at 7 o'clock and he goes to Joe's Diner. From Joe's Diner, I don't know. But, it, you know, so I said, I'll take care of all that. Just give me the information and what you know and where he lives. And, you know, so that they give you all the documentation, down payment. You want me to, uh, you want to supply the weapon or you want me, you know? So you throw it out there. Hey, yep. So as the result of the investigation, you get a lot of plays. Did you get any contracts uh, put out on you because of the investigation? Yeah. Um, what happened was at the Brooklyn South Narcotics, remember when that guy said he, he was yep. going to piss on me, you know, indicating he was going to kill me, you know? So they had to write a, tele a tag, uh, a teletype to headquarters. Then headquarters, I still have the teletype believe it or not. And they said to me, we think we may have to send you to California. I said, I'm not going to California. Well, like you're not going to stand out in California. <laughs> I said, this way, you know, and I, and we're going back and forth. And um, a lot has happened. When I went to Washington during the Kukunski case, they wrote up um, I was one of the 10 top police officers in the United States, uh, Parade Magazine. And I got the yeah, Parade Magazine with 10 other police officers there that the, we received awards in Toronto. And, uh, man, it was great there. Uh, had had my own, uh, it looked like Bobby's, these guys dressed up. I had my own driver with a police car, went to all the parties and uh, the International Association Chiefs of Police. Oh yeah, I it. was up there. There, the uh, and the, the the Toronto Police Services in their formal uniforms yeah. and stuff looked very sharp. Yeah, they were great and had a beautiful hotel. And my director was great. After I received the award there and stuff, he goes, "Do yourself a favor." He says, uh, "Spend a day here or two days." He says, "And then fly back." It was nice. This is the end of part one of episode 12, Richard Kuklinski, the Iceman, meets ATF agent Dominic Polifrone. Make sure you stay tuned. Part two will be coming out on Thursday. We've got a lot more great content as Dominic dives into this case in a way hardly anybody has ever heard about before, and he gives you a lot of details you won't find anywhere else but in this podcast. In the meantime, check us out, gameofcrimespodcast.com. It's our website. We've got a lot of great information there as well. Follow us on Twitter 
at Game of Crimes. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Game of Crimes Podcast. And make sure you visit us at patreon.com slash Game of Crimes. We have a ton, and I do mean a ton of content. We've got stuff coming out just about every five to seven days, depending on what level you're at. Make sure you come and visit us, patreon.com slash Game of Crimes, and see all the extra stuff Murph and I are putting together just for you. Okay, everybody, stay tuned. Part two is coming out on Thursday. The Iceman Richard Kuklinski meets ATF agent Dominic Polifrone. The end of this case is going to be amazing. Thank you.